Hey, my name is Paul Mumon. I'm the lead pastor at Genesis. And uh, if you're new with us today, maybe you're out of town uh, here visiting some family or friends. We want to welcome you here with us this morning. And uh, if you've got a Bible with you today, I want to invite you to take it and turn to Luke chapter 19. Go to the third book in the New Testament, uh, Luke chapter 19. Uh, This gospel of Luke is really the account, the details of Jesus' life here on this earth written from the perspective, uh, at least from the research, of a writer named Luke. And uh, there are things we certainly don't have time to get into today, but Luke's very hard. He was very tedious in his details. He is, uh, his style of writing would be widely accepted uh, by those who were very detailed in their accounts of following the life uh, and the ministry of someone like Jesus. And so as you read through his gospel, you're going to see details, again, that are very intentional. We're going to see some of those intentional details uh, as we look at Luke 19. But uh, just kind of catch you up today, uh, for the last few weeks, we've been talking about how God wants to influence the way we view and manage our finances. And a big part of the work that he wants to do and accomplish in us uh, comes out of our willingness to give and to be generous. And so the same illustration uh, that we've been working off of the last few weeks, well, the truth is that it applies to many different aspects uh, of life, that uh, there are places we sometimes find ourselves in life and say, you know what, I'm here and I'd, I'd really rather be over there. You know, maybe it has something to do with the relationship that you're in that you know could be better. Or uh, maybe it has, again, like, as we've talked about the last few weeks, maybe you find yourself in a place financially and you think, you know, that's ultimately where I'd like to get to one day, or whether it be in your career or maybe your kind of educational path. I mean, wherever you find yourself right now, you would say, you know what, ultimately, uh, I think this is a place uh, that I'd rather be. And so it works for our finances. Again, it works for every aspect of life. Well, what I want to do is I want to turn the corner today from using this as an illustration to talk about uh, finances and our giving and our resources. Uh, but instead, I, I want to look at it from uh, the vantage point of like, what, what does it take to live a life that, that really matters? Like, what, what does it take to live a life of meaning? What does it take to live a life of, of, of purpose? And, and how do we ultimately find satisfaction in this world? Because I think the one thing that we have in common, no matter what we believe about God or anything for that matter, is we all desire some level of satisfaction, some level of, of fulfillment and purpose. And I think here's what happens for too many people. I think for too many people today, um, whether unknowingly or uh, you know, maybe, may, may, maybe it is a, a knowing sort of thing that we, we choose to live here. We'll, we'll say, you know what, everything that I need from life can be found in this world. Like it's something that I can find in money. It's something I could find in a particular relationship. It's something that I could find in achievement or my career or whatever it may be. But I think the truth is this, that if you choose to live your life this way, if you li- choose to live your life kind of from this vantage point, uh, you're eventually going to see that that, that that satisfaction that we might experience from time to time, that it really is temporary. And that it's only going to be a matter of time that we'll go searching for more. Like there's always got to be more or there's got to be something else. And so we'll, we'll look to other things. It, it, it becomes about, you know, gaining more money or it becomes about, well, if, if I only had another job or if we had a bigger house or, you know, if we could take this trip or, you know, these kids or, or whatever it may be. Like if I could find something else, we'll well, then I would finally and maybe ultimately be satisfied. And so this place very quickly becomes a, a place of dissatisfaction. This, th- this becomes a place of insignificance. This becomes a, a place where we're always searching for more. And I think too many people live at a place like this, again, whether knowingly or unknowingly. But here's what the Lord wants for us. This is what we talk about here at Genesis all the time, and this is what I've experienced in my life, and I know many of you, but like God wants us to live in relationship with him. 
all right, through Jesus Christ. Like Jesus makes that possible for us. And again, it's not a guarantee of a perfect life, all right, you know, uh, it, but it's a life of, of joy. It can be a life of joy. It can be a life of fulfillment. It can be a life of purpose and, and significance. And, and, and that even when times are tough, like as we look to God's word, as we look to, you know, even others that are walking with Christ, that we can at least find the faith to keep going. As we, as we look to Jesus and as we cling to Jesus, we can find, okay, even in the ups and downs, like this is a life that's satisfying. All right, this is a life worth living, a life, you know, worth giving yourself to. And I want to see that in the story in Luke chapter 19 today. Uh, if you want to use one of the Bibles around the room, it's page 732, but it's a story of a guy by the name of Zacchaeus, right? And uh, it's a very familiar story, and I kind of hope to open it up in such a way that we learn some new things about it today. But here's what we're going to find in Zacchaeus. In Zacchaeus, we briefly meet a man who could have, who could, you know, had all the money he could ever want. Uh, he, he was considered by many to be filthy rich. Uh, but what Zacchaeus had come to realize is that something was terribly wrong in his life, that he had everything and nothing all at the same time. Before I go any further, let me just stop there and just ask you this, like, like how satisfied are you with life today? You know, like, think about where you are right now, and even, you know, as you walk in here, as you sit in here today, like, how satisfied are you with life and, and the circumstances with life? How, how confident in and the, are you in, in kind of the direction that you feel life pulling you right now and the things that you're giving yourself to, what you've put your faith in? Like how, how satisfied are you in these things? Well, the truth is, I, I think the truth is that for at least someone here this morning, here describes where you are right now. And if you're honest, you know, if you, if you would choose to be boldly honest this morning, you would say this, this is a place where I, I'm just, I'm uncomfortable with life. I'm I'm, I'm uncomfortable in my relationships right now. I may be uncomfortable in my job. I'm uncomfortable in school. I mean, just the outlook and maybe what tomorrow holds, what I see happening in this world. And, and so maybe for you, it's would say, you know what, here is just this reality that nothing satisfies. Like I keep trying, I keep pushing, I keep looking to the other, these other things and, and nothing satisfies. And so again, you're uncomfortable with just some of the basics of life. Maybe you'd say you're disappointed. Maybe you go as far as say, you know what, I, I lack peace. Or maybe for, the, for you, you'd say, you know, I feel lost here. I feel lost and, and really just trying to figure things out. Well, the great thing about Zacchaeus' story is I think it relates really well to ours uh, for each of us. And, and let's be honest, because we've all been where Zacchaeus is. And what we're going to see in his story is that for Zacchaeus... Uh, here was a place of struggle. Here's a place of insignificance. Here is, for him, the reality of his life was, a, was all about feeling lost. And, and like so many of us, you know, even in Zacchaeus, we see that he was just looking to the other things of this world to do for him what only Jesus could do. And we don't know exactly what Zacchaeus knew about Jesus, but what we're going to see in this story is that he was willing to put himself in a position to encounter Jesus. And his willingness... All right, to get to know the real Jesus is going to make all of the difference in his outlook on life and the present, but all of his, as well as, as his future eternity too. And I, I just want you to know this as we get started today. The good news is this, and this is something we talk a lot about here at Genesis, but the good news is that what Jesus was willing to do for Zacchaeus, he's willing to do in your life too. Uh, he's willing to do for any person here today, and uh, he wants to do something, we believe. He wants to do something in every single one of us. He's all about moving us from where we are to where we ultimately could be in him, and I think that applies for all of us today, uh, no matter how you see God or the Lord or any of these things in your life right now. So 
We're going to go to Luke 19, but let me pray uh, as we get started today. Father in heaven, we just thank you uh, for this time here this morning. We thank you for your goodness, Lord, and for your love and just those things we were singing about today. We thank you for 15 years. You are a faithful God, and you have given us so many wonderful and great blessings. And as we're going to see today, Lord, we just pray for that, that great and powerful reminder for, from, from you that you've given us, you've provided, you've offered. There's this invitation to a life that matters a life that's worth living here on this earth, and it's satisfying. And, and we just pray today, Lord, I, I pray that for every single one of us, we would just see and realize that the only real satisfaction in this life uh, can be found in Jesus. It's only in him. And so, Lord, I pray for, for my words, Lord, today. I pray for what you're going to teach us through the scripture, God, that you would just draw us to yourself, that you'd encourage our hearts, and that nothing would stand in the way of us surrendering uh, everything of who we are and hope to be uh, to you this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Luke chapter 19, uh, verse 1, if you've got your Bibles. Uh, again, page 732, if you're using one of the Bibles around the room. Let's pick it up together. Luke records this. Luke 19, verse 1. He says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. Now stop there. If you keep reading the rest of the uh, uh, the chapter, uh, and really the gospel here for this matter, the gospel of Luke, what you'll learn is that Jesus was passing through Jericho and he was on his way up to Jerusalem where he will eventually be arrested and crucified. So he's in the last couple of weeks uh, of his life uh, before the cross. Now, before he goes to Jerusalem, all right, as Luke records, he enters Jericho. And for those of you that appreciate geography, uh, we've got a map here of Israel uh, that you can take a look at. It's coming. There it is. All right. And so Jerusalem is right there in the center of the map towards the bottom. That's the capital city. That's the spiritual center. You always travel up to Jerusalem because it's in the mountains. All right. And so it has significance as a holy place, but it also has significance in that it's a place of greater elevation, especially when you consider Jericho, which is 800 feet below sea level. All right. And so we see here Jericho sits about 15 miles to the northeast of Jerusalem, and a major road is going to extend from the Dead Sea in the south to the Sea of Galilee in the north, but all also from Jericho to Jerusalem. And so even for Jesus and his disciples, they were always coming down the Jordan River Basin to a place called Jericho before they would eventually pass on or move on up to Jerusalem. Now, known as the City of Palms, all right, Jericho was and really is today an oasis in the desert. And back then, it was an extremely wealthy city due to its farming, uh, which benefited from some great, rich, and flowing springs in the area. But add to that, Jericho was located on an extremely important trade route as it provided access to other nations nearby. And so all sorts of traffic, again, passed through Jericho from the north the south from the east to the west, which means that it was also a profitable center for taxation, all right? And so taxes were very important in a place like Jericho, and the Romans ruled the world at the time, and they ruled Israel too, and they had built this great empire, and how in the world do they fund their empire? through taxes, all right? And so with these taxes, again, Jericho provided an ideal location for taxing everyone. Verse 2. It says, there in Jericho, a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. 
He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Now, right away, we learn a couple of important things, a couple of important details that Luke includes. First of all, that Zacchaeus was a tax collector. And second of all, he points out that Zacchaeus was very wealthy. Now, one really interesting fact about these tax collectors in the ancient world is that they were generally, in Israel they were, they were generally Jewish people who worked on behalf of Rome, all right? And so they stood in the in-between. And the Jews hated the Romans. Romans, all right, and everyone hated taxes too, which really hasn't changed, right? I mean, we all hate taxes, and I don't know about you, I don't know if you can imagine a day where everything was taxed, everything you ever purchased, everything you ever made, everything you ever inherited, uh, any road that you ever used, any bridge that you ever used. We can't imagine a day and age like that, right? I mean, none of us can imagine that, but put yourself in Zacchaeus' shoes, imagine that you've got to be the face. All right, you've got to be the face. You get to be the face for collecting these taxes. And so he's a traitor in the eyes of the Jews, and he's one of the most hated people on the planet. All right, because again, no one loves paying taxes. And again, he's a traitor amongst his own people. Add to the misery, not only is Zacchaeus a tax collector, but notice that Luke says he's a chief tax collector, which is of even greater significance because it means that he ran the entire taxation process for the region that he lived in. He had tax collectors that reported to him. So think of him is the kingpin, really, of the Jericho tax cartel, all right? That's what he's up to. That's what he's known for. And he's filthy rich in the fullest sense of the, uh, of the term. But here's the thing. Zacchaeus may have had everything you could ever want or more in the terms of wealth, but what his actions are going to reveal in this account is that he was desperate for something. There was something that was greatly missing in his life. There was a void that money and possessions could not fill for him. And so somewhere along the way, someone tipped him off to the possibility that Jesus might be exactly everything that he had ever been looking for. Verse 3, notice Luke writes, he, Zacchaeus, wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. Now, again, at this point in Jesus' ministry, as he comes into these final weeks before the cross, he's like a rock star, all right? So everywhere he goes, people line the streets. They're lining up to see him, to see what he's up to, what he's going to say, what he's going to do. And Luke tells us that when Zacchaeus heard that Jesus was coming to town, he too went to the streets to get a look. Now, if you know this story at all, you know that Zacchaeus has got a problem, and that is that he was a wee little man. And a wee little man was he, right? I mean, if you you've been around the story, if you've been around the song, you know that he, uh, what he, he's at a vertical disadvantage, uh, if you would, when it comes uh, to his height. Now, the text says he was short, all right? But here's something that's interesting that I learned from my friend, teacher Brad Gray. He, he points out that the word short, all right, here in the Greek is the word helikia, all right? Now, get this. It's the word stature, all right, it's actually better translated as stature, and because it's the word stature, it can actually be interpreted in one of three ways, all right? Being short in stature can first of all mean short in age, that he's young, but that's unlikely because chief tax collectors more times than not were experienced. They had done some time. They had done the job before, all right? And so it's unlikely that Zacchaeus was short in age, all right? But we can also conclude, and it's widely accepted, that Zacchaeus was short in height, all right? And so that's possible. And again, it's something we've all grown up around. But here's something else, and I just think this is so cool to at least consider. The word stature and to be short in stature can also mean short in social status. And here's something really significant that maybe you can already tell from Zacchaeus. I think it makes a lot of sense. Tax collectors were hated. They had no friends. They had no community. 
The only people they knew and could enjoy were one another, but for everyone else, they were outcasts. They were despised nobodies. And so short or tall, who's going to make room for Zacchaeus on the street? Who's going to get out of his way or at least allow him a spot so he can come close to the street to see Jesus? And interestingly enough, though, Zacchaeus isn't going to allow his inability to see or his lack of friends prevent him to getting to Jesus. He's desperate, again, desperate uh, for something to change. He's willing to do whatever he can to make a change in his life. Verse 4, Luke records, So he ran ahead, Zacchaeus did, and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. I thought it would be fun to just share with you a picture of what a sycamore fig tree looks like. And I don't know if you can tell or not, but there's actually a man sitting up in it. That's not Zacchaeus. We don't have pictures that go back that far. But uh, this is a sycamore fig tree. It's unlike the sycamore trees that we see in Indiana today. But one of the things the sycamore figs are known, trees are known for are they're very strong branches. They are indeed great climbing trees. I, I thought it was interesting. I was reading this past week. The fig, the fruit from the sycamore fig uh, tree was a, a fruit for poor people. And so really there's even some symbolism, if you would, in there that Zacchaeus would end up in a tree, this wealthy man the tree that the poor people would collect their food from. But here's Zacchaeus again, and as Luke records, he ran. Notice he, he, he calls us out. He ran ahead. He climbed a tree. Now, that might not sound like a big deal to us, but here's something that's fascinating that you might not know. This, this culture that Jesus and Zacchaeus lived in was known really just as an honor and shame sort of culture, meaning that everything you ever committed, everything you ever did resulted in one of two things. It would either bring honor to you or it would bring shame to you. There's no middle ground, all right? So again, every action either brought honor to you and not only you, but also your family. The same with, uh, you know, whether you, you did something shameful as well. And so in the first century Israel, and Luke knows this, no dignified Jewish man would first of all run. They didn't do that. And at the same time, no dignified Jewish man would ever consider climbing a tree. And Zacchaeus is going to do both. Because I think he realizes he's got nothing to lose. He's an outcast. And now with reckless abandon, he runs, he climbs a tree. And I just don't think it's any accident that Luke includes these details, again, of way, a way of demonstrating how desperate Zacchaeus really is. And so he's up a tree, he's out on a limb. Look at what happens next, verse 5. It says, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up to him and said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Now remember, again, this is an honor and shame culture. And so if you're Jesus, the most appropriate thing to do uh, when you arrive at this tree would be to ignore the fool, all right, that's up in the tree looking down on you because everybody already hates him. And so why would you acknowledge him? But I just think we need to recognize that that's not Jesus. All right, that, that's not who he is. He's willing to bring shame on himself and we see that not only because he stopped, but at the same time, too, because he called Zacchaeus by name. And now he's inviting himself over to Zacchaeus' house for dinner, which is significant, and we'll talk about it in just a second. But I want to I first say this. I, this is just a little bonus here. I, I think, you know, I, I got to think of this past week, like, how did, how did Jesus know Zacchaeus' name? Like, in that moment that he's walking down the street, and he turns to the tree, and he calls Zacchaeus, like, how did Zacchaeus know that? Like, like, I mean, it's possible that you could say, well, that was just simply wisdom from heaven, you know, that, 
that God, his father, had provided him that wisdom in that moment to know who Zacchaeus was. But, uh, or this, I, I think it's also possible, too, that maybe one of the disciples knew him or knew of him. And so maybe somebody whispered into Jesus, that's Zacchaeus, by the way. You know? And so you know, maybe, maybe that's a result of it. But, but here's something that's interesting, too. Remember, one of the first disciples that Jesus called was a guy by the name of Levi. All right, now we know him better as Matthew, same guy. And if you know his story at all, what was Matthew doing for a living before he encountered Jesus? He was a tax collector, right? And so if you know this story, if you know some of the details around Matthew's life, one of the things that Matthew did is he threw a big party one day with all of his friends, all of his old buddies, and he invited Jesus over to the party as well. Matthew was being very intentional. He wanted to get his friends around Jesus. He wanted to get them around the man who was changing his life. And so you can't help but wonder Tax collectors hung out together, same crowd, same group of people. Is it possible that Zacchaeus was at that party? Is it possible that Zacchaeus got some time around Jesus as a result of his friend Matthew? And, and maybe, maybe Zacchaeus, if he was there, maybe he left that evening and maybe Jesus left such an impression on him that when Zacchaeus learned that Jesus was coming to town, he was going to do everything that he could to get as close to him as possible. I don't know for sure. We'll know one day. We can ask that question one day, but it's fun to think about. But all we know is this. All we know Luke records is that Jesus is going uh, to Zacchaeus' house for dinner. Right? He looks up in the tree. He says to him, let's go to your house for dinner, which is huge. All right, This is a big deal because it demonstrates Jesus' willingness to go and to enter into Zacchaeus' house. I mean, Jesus is communicating a powerful message to the people on the streets and to his own disciples. It's a message of friendship. Uh, it's a message of acceptance. It's Jesus' way of saying, Zacchaeus, I love you. I accept you. I'm not put off by the details of your life and of your past. I want to be a part of your life. And again, it's hard for us to fully appreciate just how radical it would have been for Jesus to interact with a man like Zacchaeus this way, much less go to his house for dinner. But we get a hint. Look at what Luke records in the next verse, next seven. It says, all the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Now, some translations, maybe your Bible says grumble. Uh, they were grumbling. They were complaining about Jesus and what he was doing. But there's something so cool here, something so amazing about our God that Jesus demonstrates for us right here. And that is that in Jesus, we're reminded that no one is too far. Uh, no one is so far removed from the love of God. Like, you can't fall. You can't drift so far in your life that you can't come to Jesus uh, or come back to him. And, and the same, that, you know, what's true for Zacchaeus here that Jesus is demonstrating, it's true for us too. It's true for us today. It's true for you that there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God. Uh, there is nothing so dirty. There is nothing so wrong that removes you from his love. Like, you can't mess, mess up so badly. Uh, you can't give up on him enough. You can't turn your back from him so many times to the point that he won't love you. I mean, as we see here, Jesus is a friend of sinners. He's a friend of people like me and you, and, and he wants to be a part of your life. He, he wants to be a friend. He wants to be a savior to you and me. And his willingness to go into Zacchaeus' home and to eat with him was an indicator of just that. It was an indicator that he's willing to enter into every detail of our lives. And look what happens next, verse 8. It says, but Zacchaeus stood up. Remember in verse 7, Luke records, or excuse me, in verse 6, Luke records that Zacchaeus had come down from the tree. It says, but Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Now, it's hard to catch, 
but at least in study this week, here's what I found. The fact that Zacchaeus stood up indicates that the scene has potentially shifted, that Luke has withheld the details of actually moving on to Zacchaeus' house, but they were led to believe that he's actually in Zacchaeus' house now. All right, again, the scene has shifted, and Jesus and his disciples would likely have spent the night there because that was the Palestinian custom of the time. But at some point during their stay, all right, maybe after a meal, Zacchaeus would stand, as Luke records, and declare, really, not only for those in the room, but really for all of Jericho and for us today. Look at his words again. Look, Lord. And that's more of a declaration than we realize. That's easy to skim over. But what Zacchaeus is doing here is he is acknowledging Jesus for who he really is, that he is the Messiah. He's God's chosen one. He's our Savior. He is the Son of God. And the way Zacchaeus responds next says even more. Luke records it. He says, here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. All right? Now, you quickly do this math, which I'm not quick with math, so I actually got to think about it. Uh, as, I, as I was looking at this, he gave 50% of everything he had to the poor. This went far beyond the normal requirement of 20% of one's income during this day and age that they were living in. From the remaining 50%, he pledged to make restitution in the amount of four times the amount that he extorted from others. Translated basically this. Here's the big idea. Here's the meaning. He had cheated so many people along the way and with his life and in his trade. And now he is placing his entire fortune in jeopardy for the sake of making things right. All right, for the sake of making things right, for the sake of discovering what he had always ultimately been searching for. And just so there's no doubt in our minds about what's really happening here, look at Jesus' response to his declaration in verse 9 because it says it all. Verse 9, Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. Jesus declares today salvation, new life, a new chance, an opportunity to start over fresh with all of the opportunity in the world before him has come to this man. It was Jesus' way of saying, I love you, I accept you, I forgive you, and not because Zacchaeus had performed a great deed, but because he truly believed and declared with his mouth, all right, again, that he was willing to set aside anything that could potentially get in the way of following Jesus, but he acknowledged him as Lord and Savior and was making a new statement about the way that he intended his life from this day forward. And the thing is this, for some of you maybe today like Zacchaeus, You've been looking to other things, all right, to fulfill a need that only Jesus was ever meant to fulfill. Uh, we go looking to other things. We go looking to things like love. We go looking for things like acceptance. Maybe at times we go looking for, for forgiveness and, and other things. And, and maybe, you know, these other things, they can't meet the need. And, and maybe you've been looking to other things uh, but Jesus to meet these things for you, whatever they may be. Again, uh, sometimes it's our, our financial aspirations. Again, sometimes it's just our motivation to succeed and to push forward and to achieve, to, to accumulate, whatever. Maybe we, we go looking to these other things to fulfill for us only what Jesus was ever meant to fulfill. And the thing is that in and of themselves, I mean, some of these things that we go looking to give our lives to, they're not necessarily bad things, but they were just never meant to be the ultimate things for us in 
our life. They, well, the problem is that they just can't accomplish for us what Jesus was intended to accomplish for us. And let there be no doubt, Luke records the words of Jesus at the end of this account, at least as far as we know, in verse 10, where we're reminded of Jesus' mission and what he came for. And Luke writes Jesus' words, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. To save people like Zacchaeus. And we're just reminded with these words that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, which means that he came to satisfy our deepest needs. Jesus came to satisfy those. He, he came, we believe, we talk about this all the time there. He, Jesus came to model the way that life was intended to be lived on, on this earth. And uh, Jesus came to deal with problems like pain and hurt and guilt and, and insignificance and to deal for, with these once and for all. And, you know, maybe for some of you today, maybe you've been spending significant time in the presence of Jesus. Like maybe you've been coming around Genesis for a long time or maybe it was a, it's another church for you or, uh, you know, maybe it is brand new to you. Um, but maybe you'd say, you know, I'm listening, I'm watching, I've been looking, I've been searching, I've been asking all these questions. I, I just want to say these are good things. Like it's, it's a great and it's a wonderful thing to pursue Jesus and to ask questions of Jesus and even consider, hey, what do these things mean for, for, for my life? But the reality is this. If you've never responded to Jesus, if you've never called him Lord, if you've never made a conscious decision on your own to put your trust in Jesus Christ, well, here then describes where you are today. And again, it's great to search. It's great to, to ask these questions. But, I mean, you've got to ask yourself, is this where I am today? Have I, have I ever made a decision to trust the Lord. And again, it's God's desire for every single one of us that we would be here. Uh, and for us, there is a place of trusting God. Uh, there is a place of putting all of our hope in Him. It's receiving His forgiveness and His love. It doesn't mean we're, we're perfect, at least as far as the way the world sees perfection, uh, but we have been made right in Christ. And what He does for us is He gives us a different way of seeing things. He gives us a place to turn to. He gives us the confidence that we are children of God and that our hope uh, is in him. And the way uh, to get from here to there, like as we talked about, you know, financially, you know, had everything to do with giving and generosity. Well, when it comes to our life, when it comes to our security, when it comes to our eternity, well, this is all about Jesus. I mean, Jesus is the only one. He is the only way to move us from here to there in our lives, to move us from a place of dissatisfaction and no hope, and no security for our eternity. Well, Jesus is the one who makes it possible to move to this place where we can find satisfaction and security and significance and hope. You know, whereas one is eternal separation from him one day, you know, there for us, a life in Christ is all about the security of knowing, well, I know that the life that I've been called to here on this earth, and I know what lies before me. You know, when it's all said and done, again, Jesus is the way for us. He says this in John chapter 14, verse 6. For many of you, you may know these words, but Jesus said, he says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And so we're reminded today that Jesus can and wants to be life for us. Uh, Jesus can and wants to be hope for us. Jesus can and wants to be security for us. I mean, he ultimately, he's real satisfaction. Uh, he is the one that we search for. He is the one that we long for. And for Zacchaeus, again, he was here, all right? That day up in the tree, he was right here. 
until he made the conscious choice to say, Lord, look, Lord, I am putting my faith in you. And at that moment, we believe that Zacchaeus moved from this place to this one, and he had a new life and a new beginning. And maybe that's a move that some of you need to make today. A move to trust the Lord with your life, to trust him for your future and your salvation. Again, Jesus is the one who's willing to enter into every detail of our lives. And he wants to live in relationship with you. He wants to give you a new hope and a new future. And the only thing that stands in the way is your surrender, is your willingness to say, Jesus, I need you with all of my life. And, and I think, you know, the illustration can work as well, even if you're here today and you've put your faith and your trust in Jesus, because maybe you'd say, you know what, I know that this defines where I am right now. Like, I know where my hope and my security is, but I'm just, I'm just not very satisfied right now. I mean, the reality is that the circumstances of life, man, they can, they can really weigh us down from time to time, and life hurts, and it's painful at times, and I think the question that we've always got to be asking ourselves is, but, but am I walking with Jesus? Like, am I continually, am I daily turning to him? Am I, am I looking to live through him? I mean, I know I have life in him, but am I living through him? In a couple of weeks, we're going to start a brand new series that's all about this kind of living. It's choosing every day. It's making a conscious choice every day that I want to live through Jesus. You know, there is nothing that I can accomplish in this world apart from Christ. And I think that's something that applies for each of us. But one last thing, and then we'll pray and we'll sing together. You know, Zacchaeus' response, and I think Luke's inclusion of it, is a great reminder that our faith in Christ demands a change, if you would. It demands some sort of response. And, well, I think for some of you today, you need to respond as Zacchaeus responded. And I'm not talking about a financial gift. But instead, with a tangible step that you'll remember, I think that speaks to others as well. And for today, I'm talking about baptism. And, you know, for us, back, baptism is just a way of going public with your faith. And Jesus was baptized, and he's called each of us to model that same way with our lives. And so if you've surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, or maybe that's a decision that you'll make today and you've never been baptized, baptism is your next step. It's a way of demonstrating your new faith in Jesus and a desire to follow him. And maybe that's a move that you're ready to make. We'd love to talk with you this morning about that before you go. We'd love to celebrate that with you next weekend at our celebration at Federal Hills Common. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, just trusting you right now with your work and our lives and every life here in this room. And I realize that this illustration, well, we can probably look at it uh, in all sorts of different ways today. Um, but I just, I first of all, want to start with those that are maybe here today that would recognize that I don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm living here and, and maybe being pulled to there. And uh, if you've never trusted Christ with your life before, if you've never put your faith in him, the good news is that you can do that today. Like you can do that where you're seated right now. This is just, it's about a decision you make in your life, a conscious decision to say, I want to put my faith and my trust in Jesus. And maybe you're ready. Maybe you're ready right now. Maybe you're ready to make that move with your life. You can, you can pray a prayer that just sounds something like this, and you can pray it silently to yourself. But, Lord, you pray, Lord Jesus, I, I need you in my life. I want you in my life today. Forgive me. Forgive me of my sins. And give me the confidence of knowing that I am your child, a part of your family, ready to live for you today. And uh, if you didn't get those words exactly, don't worry, that's not the point. It really is just about what's going on in your heart today. 
but maybe in your own words, however you need to, just reach out to Jesus with your words and say, Lord, I, I need you in my life. I want you in my life. And you can respond to him this morning and, and we'd love to celebrate that decision. There's no greater decision that you can make than to trust Jesus with your life. And for those that are here today, Lord, maybe that uh, have made a decision to follow Christ but are maybe struggling, I just, just give us the faith to keep turning to you, God. You are everything that we need, that all of your promises are good and true and that you desire a deep relationship with each and every one of us. And then baptism, you know, for those that are maybe making a decision to trust Christ today or maybe we've got some people that have been coming for a while and, well, maybe if that's you, maybe it just kind of feels like you've been hanging out in the tree and it's time to come down out of that tree and move closer to Jesus. Today can be your day. To just say, Lord Jesus, I want to follow you. And man, if you're ready to be baptized, we'd love to talk with you more about that, about making that move in your life. God, we thank you. Thanks for sending your son Jesus, our Lord and Savior, and just give us the confidence and the courage to live through him today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.